0: This is Very Public Affairs, the podcast of the Centre for Corporate Public Affairs. Here's your host, Wayne Burns. Hello and welcome to Very Public Affairs, the podcast of the Centre for Corporate Public Affairs. I'm Wayne Burns, the Executive Director of the Centre and thank you for joining us. Today I'll be talking to Daniel Ephraim from the London Business School about his latest research into misinformation and morality. Daniel is currently Associate Professor of Organisational Behaviour at London Business School and has a background in behavioural psychology. He has been identified as one of the most influential professors in the US under 40 years of age. Daniel and his co-researcher, Major Raj examined the interaction of social media users with misinformation. They found that the more people see a fake news headline, the less unethical that news appears, even if they don't believe it. These findings are especially significant for politics and corporate affairs, where reputation can make or break a company or personality. Why do we even share misinformation if we know it's misinformation or propaganda? Do we do it to protect to advocate, to discredit, to confuse others. What's what's that the motivation? Do you think?
1: Well, certainly, you know, tribalism is is deeply ingrained in in the human psyche, particularly uh, when it as it relates to uh, issues of morality. Um, one of the functions of morality, uh, psychologists have argued, is to bind groups together, um, which of course is is adaptive over time. Helps keep groups strong. Um, the the phenomenon that Maida and I found in our research, uh, we we examined one reason why people could think that it's okay to spread fake news that they know is false. That particular reason is that they've simply encountered it before. So in other words, when you've repeatedly encountered the same piece of fake news, you think it's less unethical to share even if you think uh, that it's, uh, even if you are aware that it's false.
0: Is spreading disinformation simply an extension of what is normal human behavior?
1: Yeah, so uh, our research didn't examine all the different reasons people could have for sharing fake news. Um, I think uh, w- what this repetition effect does is it actually removes an inhibition on sharing fake news. Right, So the inhibition would be, oh, I'm not going to share this because it's fake and it's wrong to spread lies. But if you've seen the same piece of fake news multiple times, you start thinking, well, yeah, I know it's fake, but it's not so unethical to share. So you feel a little bit less inhibited about sharing it. And then and then other reasons for sharing it, like, ah, oh, it's interesting or it's funny or it supports my political views could come into play. I should mention, though, one thing that we were surprised about in this research is this repetition effect was equally strong regardless of whether the fake news aligned with your political views or didn't align with your political views. So the, the psychology here seems to go beyond uh, tribalism, which, which you see in other research. It's a, perhaps a more basic cognitive process that if you've repeatedly encountered a statement, it just seems a little less unethical to spread.
0: Does the speed at which issues play out across social media platforms affect our willingness to share misinformation online?
1: It's a good hypothesis. There's there's a lot of research suggesting that the judgments we make about morality stem more from the fast intuitions that we have, you know, our feelings, rather than slow deliberate reasoning that we do with our heads. In other words, morality comes from the gut rather than the head. And so, you know, one possibility is that if you really made people slow down and reason very carefully, about whether it's right or wrong to share information that you know it's false. People might be a little bit more reluctant to share it. So the the argument I make is that if you've repeatedly encountered a a piece of fake news, it makes it feel truthier on an intuitive gut feeling level. And those gut feelings make you think, ah, I know it's false with my head, but with my gut it doesn't feel so bad, so it's not so unethical to share. The hypothesis is that if you slowed people down and had them think about the reasons they have for deciding that it's ethical or unethical to share fake news, they would be less vulnerable to this effect of repetition.
0: Is our behavior online then much different to how human beings have always behaved?
1: I think the psychology is the same as it's always been, but the platforms are different, and the platforms actually have important consequences. So I'd say going back even farther than hundreds of years, um, people skilled in rhetoric have appreciated that if you repeat the same message over and over again, um, people will will accept it, even if they didn't accept it at first. You know, one reason is that you repeat the same message over and over again, people start thinking it's true. Another reason is that people don't think it's true, but they think it's less unethical to uh, to um, spread information that they know is false. I think that psychology is old. What's new is, um, as you point out. Uh, the same misinformation can be repeated um, and hugely amplified very quickly on social media. Not just when it goes viral uh, organically, but you know you have all these bots that are uh, you know pumping out fake information and amplifying it, uh, spreading it even further. But the other way that the the new platform um, uh, affects the psychology is that it encourages people to rely on intuition rather than deliberate reasoning. Right? So you know, you're, imagine you're scrolling through Twitter while you're waiting for a train and you know, you're making quick decisions about whether to like or uh, retweet various messages you see. You don't stop and think, oh, what are the moral implications of sharing this? Or even how likely is this to be true? You just make quick decisions based on your gut feelings. And that's, you know, that's part of the design of the platform.
0: How did you actually conduct your research?
1: Yeah, we conducted some uh, some experiments in an, in an online environment. So we re- we recruited American participants across the political spectrum, and we showed them a bunch of news articles. These are actual fake news articles that we found online and that had been thoroughly debunked by um, politically neutral uh, fact-checking websites. So we showed them a bunch of uh, fake news articles, and some of the articles we show them multiple times, and some of the articles we show them only once. And then at the end of the study, they asked to rate how unethical it would be to share each of these, um, each of these uh, articles. Finding is that if we've shown them an article multiple times in the study, they think it's less unethical to share than if they've seen fake news only once. And this effect holds even when people explicitly say that the fake news is fake. And so, you know, I mentioned this method we used because there are there are some limits on generalizability. You asked, do people in the real world, when they're on social media, do they think carefully about this kind of thing? It's unclear because we haven't done the research yet in real social media environments. Um, You know, we, we create these lab studies where we ask people specifically how ethical or unethical do you think it is to share this fake news. And we ask them explicitly to think about how accurate do you think this piece of fake news is? Whether questions of accuracy or morality are top of mind at all when people are on social media is another question one that needs to be addressed in future research as
0: primates we are social animals and we're programmed to share information from your research can you tell us why people spread misinformation even if they know it's false
1: uh just if you ask people um why why do you share news articles online um people come up with a lot of reasons and because it's accurate is only one of the reasons uh, so as we were discussing before, uh, one reason is, um, uh, we- we called it tribalism. Uh, you want to signal belonging in an in-group. Um, another could be that, you know, you think, uh, an article is funny, you know, even if you know it's false. Um, you talked about, uh, the motivation to smear other people. There's a- there's another class of motives that, you know, people call trolling. So, you know, you're not actually trying to further a- a political agenda or signal belonging, um, you're just trying to uh, create a little bit of chaos. Um, you you get pleasure out of tricking people, um, and uh, you know yet another reason could be that people just don't give it much thought. They find it some they find it appealing and they they click the share button. Um, but you know uh, gossip has been around for a long time, and it's possible that uh, that fake news is designed to um, uh, to push some of the buttons that make gossip appealing. I was reading some research recently suggesting that uh, negative gossip about other people uh, spreads faster than positive gossip about other people. Um, the argument is that this has some evolutionary basis, that it's really important to know about who the cheaters are in your group, to know who's going to take advantage of you. Um, and so uh, information along those lines spreads faster. If you look at the kind of fake news that goes viral, it tends to be negative information about. Uh, opposition candidates. Um, so, yeah, you could you could probably spin some arguments about uh, fake news tapping into those uh, evolved mechanisms that support gossip. I'll just throw you
0: a hypothetical now. If if a regulator came to you and asked you to advise on constructing a regulatory regime to filter out the most egregious uh, fake news, would that even be possible? Could that type of framework even be developed?
1: Yeah, uh, that's uh, the most important question, and you know, let me flag this as um, very speculative. I'm not speaking from data here because we just we just don't have the data yet. As a social psychologist, uh, I tend to focus more on behavioral nudges than on sort of sweeping policies, just in part because that's that's my disciplinary focus. So. You know, like, one, one thing that social media companies, I think, are, are already doing, and hopefully they'll develop the technology to do this better, is to uh, be more careful about kinds of information that appears in uh, people's uh, news feeds or, or Twitter feeds, that if there's information that's, you know, clearly, you know, has some signs of being false, my understanding is that the way the algorithms are now, uh, there are features of that misinformation that make it especially likely to appear in the news feed. and. You know my research raises the concern that simply by seeing it a bunch of times, uh, you'll think it's it's more acceptable, be more likely to share it. So if there are ways of uh, of making that information uh, not not totally censoring it, but making it a little bit less likely to appear, that might help. Of course, there are all sorts of policy problems with that like you know, who decides what's true and what's not, who are the arbiters. I leave that to technology and policy people rather than psychologists like me. But in, you know, in my future research, I'm looking at some nudges that might be a little bit more palatable because they don't involve finding someone to be the arbiter of truth. Some good evidence from the anti-smoking literature. If you tell people um, smoking is bad for your health, that doesn't work so well uh, to get people, particularly teenagers, to stop smoking. If you tell teenagers, um, You know, the the tobacco lobby is manipulating you. The tobacco industry is manipulating you into doing something that's unhealthy. Here are all the the tricks they use to try to fool you. That sort of makes people's moral antennae go up, and they're more likely to quit smoking or not not stop to begin with. I think there's an analogy to the problem with fake news here. So with smoking, the problem is not that people don't know that it's bad for them, it's that they know it's bad for them but may not care. And telling them that they're being manipulated makes them feel like there's some sort of moral violation going on, and then they do care. The analogy with fake news is the problem isn't always that people don't know it's fake. Sometimes they know it's fake, but they don't care. By telling people foreign governments, uh, trolls, bots are using a variety of tactics to manipulate them into spreading misinformation that, you know, harms democracy. That could make people's moral antennae go up and make them care that they're spreading misinformation that's false. Just as one specific example of this, um, there was a New York Times piece the other day about how um, purveyors of fake news are posing as local news sources. Like, they set up websites that look like the Penfield New York Register. And the reason they do that is because people trust local news sources more than national sources. This is a hugely manipulative tactic, and I think people would be would be outraged if they, they understood this more. And so you could imagine, like, a, a, a campaign of public service announcements that makes manipulative tactics like this more salient to people. That might not make them think that fake news is any less false, but it could make them think that fake news is more unethical to share when they recognise it as false.
0: Daniel, thank you for your time. Uh, Stay tuned for more interviews like this in 2020 on our Very Public Affairs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of Very Public Affairs, subscribe in iTunes and leave a review. For more, visit the Centre for Corporate Public Affairs website at www.accpa.com.au.